crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome to Watch Jerusalem. I'm Chris Eames, your host for today's program. And today we're going to be continuing our series on the modern identity of the tribes of Israel after a little bit of a hiatus on the subject. So thus far we've covered the tribes of Reuben, Dan, Judah, Ephraim and Zebulun. And today we'll be looking at the tribe of Manasseh. There's some really fascinating history about each of the tribes of Israel. And when we're, when we're talking about ancient Israel, we tend to, for obvious reasons, focus on Israel as a whole when, when discussing the, the historical nation. But actually, Israel has always had very strong tribal affinities and, and tribal patriotism. Uh, a similar comparison could be made with the the United States of America, the separate states, just deep patriotism and identity with the the separate states, and it was far more so with ancient Israel, uh, even to the point of wars between the states. So, with with the tribe of Manasseh, then, and as we have been asking in each of these programs on this series, what became of these tribes? What became of these separate? lost tribes of Israel following the deportation of the Israelites by the Assyrians. And uh, for, for today's program specifically, what became of the tribe of Manasseh? Now, here at Watch Jerusalem, we often reference our free book by Herbert W. Armstrong entitled The United States and Britain and Prophecy. You can order it on our website, uh, watchjerusalem.co.il. And this book goes through in detail, just what happened to the lost ten tribes of Israel, how they became lost, where they went, and where they are today. So let's lay some groundwork. During the the reign of King Rehoboam, the northern ten tribes split off and became known as the northern kingdom of Israel, the Israelites. The remaining tribes, ruled by Rehoboam from Jerusalem, they became known as the southern kingdom of Judah, or the Jews. So while all the tribes can be referred to collectively as Israelites, only those of that southern kingdom of Judah can be called Jews, the, the short form name of, of the tribal name, Judah. And most people don't realize this, uh, assuming that all Israelites are Jews, but that's not actually the case. And in actual fact, the first use of the word Jews in the Bible is in a passage of Scripture describing the Jews and the Israelites actually fighting against each other. Now, during the late 700s BCE, the ten-tribe nation of Israel was conquered and taken captive by Assyria, and they became lost to worldview. Uh, these, these people became known as the Lost Ten Tribes, popularly called the Lost Ten Tribes, and and Man has speculated for centuries, perhaps even millennia, about where exactly these people went. Could they be found in Asia? Could they be found in the, the Pacific Isles? Where could they have gone? The, the Bible describes their deportation 
by the Assyrians up as far as northern Iran, and then the record in the book of Kings stops. The Jews, on the other hand, that southern kingdom of Judah, they continue to be described in the Bible. They continue to rule in the Holy Land up until the early uh, 500s BCE, when, when at that point they are conquered by the Babylonians and they are also deported in large numbers. But the Jews clearly retained their identity. And one specific reason for that is because they continued to keep the Sabbath. And this was one of God's specific identifying commandments. It it was a sign of his people. And you can read about that in Exodus 31, Ezekiel 20, and other passages. Now, the Bible also clearly describes the Jewish return to the Holy Land, uh, the rebuilding of the temple, Nehemiah's wall, You have the clearly documented history on through the Hellenic period, the Maccabean period, the Roman periods, etc., right up until today. So the identity of the Jews, of the tribe of Judah, of that southern kingdom of Judah, is clearly known to the world. But modern day, uh, so modern day Israel, the Jewish state in the Middle East, they are representative of this tribe, not Israel as a whole, but of the tribe of Judah, the Jews. And you can check out our podcast on this from a few months ago, dedicated to the tribe of Judah. So what again about the lost 10 tribes of Israel? And what about Manasseh? Now, Genesis 49 is a key prophecy about what would become of each tribe, as verse 1 says, in the last days. This prophecy details the characteristics, the future of each of these tribes, their national identity right up to the time just prior to the coming of the Messiah, in the last days, as verse 1 says. So these tribes are on the scene somewhere in this world. For the identity of Manasseh, we have to go back before the tribal father was born, back to the time of the patriarch Abraham. Abraham is known as in the Bible as the father of the faithful, And repeatedly, God bestowed numerous blessings on the descendants of the patriarch Abraham as a result of his obedience. As we follow the biblical account, we see that as Abraham continued to obey and believe God, the, the blessings became increased and more and more specific. And especially so, following that act of offering Isaac or, or coming close to offering Isaac. The angel stopped him before before he uh, did the deed. So here in Genesis 22 verses 16 to 18, God promises, quote, by myself have I sworn, says the eternal, for because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, that in blessing I will bless you and in multiplying I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and your seed in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. End of quote. So how then, and to which of Abraham's descendants were these prophecies passed on? The Bible makes clear that, that this inheritance was passed on to Abraham's son Isaac specifically. It it wasn't passed on to Ishmael. It was passed on to his son Isaac. You can read about that in Genesis 17. And then following Isaac, 
the blessings were passed on as a birthright to his son, Jacob. It wasn't passed on, in that case, to Esau. It was passed on to Jacob. And you can read about that in Genesis 25 and 27. So these blessings that, that would, would be bestowed upon Jacob's descendants were, were things like abundant farmland, crops, livestock. And God further blesses Jacob here in Genesis 35, verse 11. He says, quote, And God said unto him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. And notice this, a nation and a company of nations shall be of you, and kings shall come out of your loins, end of quote. So, besides the general blessings for his descendants, here we see two distinct things, one great nation and another great company or commonwealth of nations that would come from Jacob. Now, of course, continuing in the story, Jacob had his name changed to Israel. He was the father of 12 sons, and each of these sons were a progenitor of a total of 12 tribes who together formed the Israelites. These tribes received various individual blessings. Again, they're described in Genesis 49. But the primary birthright blessing was delivered by Jacob to only one of those sons, Now, Reuben was Jacob's firstborn through his first wife, Leah, and as such, he would naturally have received the birthright. But Genesis 49 explains that Reuben relinquished his birthright after a a pretty egregious sexual act, and as such, the birthright was transferred to the firstborn son of Jacob's second wife, Rachel, and this was Jacob's son, Joseph. At the end of Jacob's life, he gathered his son Joseph and then Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to him. And okay, here's where we get into Manasseh. And Jacob proceeded to transfer the birthright blessing onto these two boys. And this is described in Genesis 48. So in praying over the boys, Jacob places his his right hand on Ephraim and his left hand on Manasseh. But Joseph protested this. Uh, because Manasseh was the eldest of the two, and Joseph felt that Jacob's right hand should have been on Manasseh. But Jacob replied in verse 19, quote, I know it, my son, I know it. He, Manasseh, shall also become a people, and he shall also be great. But truly his younger brother Ephraim shall be greater than he, and his, his seed shall become a multitude of nations." So here in, uh, in Genesis 48, verse 19, we have this separation of the two promises, that of a great nation and a company or commonwealth of nations. Manasseh would become the great nation, singular, and Ephraim would become a great commonwealth of nations. But the fulfillment of these incredible blessings would not be bestowed right away. We know the ensuing ensuing history. We know that the kingdom of Israel was established under the kings Saul, David, Solomon. This was the chance that the tribes of Israel, and specifically Ephraim and Manasseh, had to inherit their blessings. But every single king of the northern kingdom of Israel was rebellious and turned the people away from God. It was a deeply, deeply pagan nation, that that northern kingdom of Israel. And God couldn't bestow these Abrahamic blessings on Israel. 
The blessings were unconditional, promised. They were a promise. They were going to be carried out. But the timing of their delivery was not unconditional. And as such, the northern kingdom of Israel, as we know, was eventually punished by being conquered by Assyria in 721 to 718, and those Israelites were then deported. So because of the disobedience of the ancient Israelites, the the blessings couldn't be given while these two tribes were living in the land of Israel. And in fact, they were to be withheld for a prophesied total of 2,520 years. And we read about that in Leviticus chapter 26. This is the blessings and curses chapter, and it contains the prophetic timeline for the withholding of the blessings of Abraham should disobedience occur as it did. And as we've stated, because of Abraham's obedience, the receiving of the promises was unconditional, but the timing of that reception was conditional. So Leviticus 26 states that if the Israelites rebelled, God would punish them for their sins seven times. This refers to severity of punishment, but it also refers to duration of punishment. Uh, A time, prophetically, is a 360-day year. There are 360 days in a Hebrew year. Now, seven of these times, as the scripture states, is 2,520 days. Further, the Bible repeatedly affirms a day-for-a-year principle. Uh, For example, the the rebellious Israelites were punished to wander 40 years in the wilderness to match the 40 days that the rebellious spies spent scouting the promised land. You can also see Ezekiel 4 for another case of this uh, prophetic day-for-a-year principle. So we have then in Leviticus 26 a prophesied withholding of the blessings if disobedience would occur, which it did, for 2,520 days with the day-for-a-year principle, 2,520 years. And when looking at it retrospectively, this becomes ever more plain. So Israel was conquered and taken into captivity in 721 to 718 BCE. 2,520 years later brings us to the turning point of the century into the, the, the very beginning of the 1800s, the start of, of the 1800s, a uh, couple of hundred years ago. And, and, and what do we see at this point? We see two nations in particular made up of a related brother people suddenly skyrocket into world power and dominance. We have a singular great nation and a company or commonwealth of nations. The singular great nation, of course, the United States, Manasseh, and the British commonwealth of nations, Ephraim. So I'll quote here from Herbert Armstrong's book, The United States and Britain and Prophecy. This is from page 132. He, he writes, So beginning A.D. 1800 to 1803, after 2,520 years, God did cause the birthright nations, and them only, to become suddenly the recipients of such national wealth, greatness and power as no nation or empire ever before had acquired. 
together they, the British and the Americans, descendants of only one original tribe, Joseph, came into possession of more than two-thirds, almost three-fourths of all the cultivated resources and wealth of the whole world. It sounds incredible. All other nations combined shared between them only little more than a fourth of the world's wealth. And that includes nations descended from other tribes of Israel. It includes such nations as Germany, Italy, Russia, China, all other nations on the whole earth. And Mr. Armstrong concludes here, The most amazing fact of all history is this sudden skyrocketing from virtual obscurity of two nations to the most fabulous wealth and economic power ever possessed by any people. Britain became Great Britain, a gigantic, stupendously wealthy commonwealth of nations, the United States, the greatest nation of history. End of quote. So it was right at this moment in the prophetic time frame that the newly formed United States of America, the tribe of Manasseh, that they made the Louisiana Purchase, acquiring 53 million acres of new American territory for a paltry sum of $15 million. And this doubled the size of the U.S. territory immediately, right at this point in time. The British Empire also at this time dramatically increased and expanded in power, becoming the largest empire, the largest company of nations that the world had ever seen, controlling a full quarter of the world's land area and and a quarter of the world's population. Further attesting to the accuracy of the biblical prophecies and blessings, the, the, the land that was inherited, the land itself, inherited by America and the British Empire is the finest land in the world for farming, growing crops, raising livestock, just as was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Think the rolling plains, the ranches and fertile fields, the farms of America, Canada, South Africa, England, New Zealand, Ireland, and so on. The the prophecies also stated the innumerable populations of these peoples. And that has been fulfilled in this end time into the hundreds of millions. His prophecies uh, stated specifically that Ephraim and Manasseh would control the gates of their enemies. And is it any accident that Britain and America came to control from that time forward all the sea gates of the world? And then further blessings. To that point in time, the, uh, the 19th century, technology had never really developed at any significant rate. Horses were still a primary mode of transport and plows were, were still driven by, by oxen. But suddenly you have the Industrial Revolution beginning, led by Britain and America, Ephraim and Manasseh. And from merely the 19th to the 20th centuries, just this short, short space of time, you've got these two leading nations bringing the world from the horse and buggy age to the space age, putting man on the moon. It's crazy, incredible development. It's clear then, particularly from the fulfillment of these prophecies, that the United States, the single greatest, wealthiest nation in history, is modern-day Manasseh. And that Great Britain and her commonwealth of countries, made up of those British descendants, again, England, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, uh, etc., that they are Ephraim. And both these tribes have 
as prophesied, come to influence the lives of just about everyone on earth. For for much more proof of this fu- prophetic fulfillment, request again our free book, uh, free book, The United States and Britain and Prophecy. Again, that's available on our website, watchjerusalem.co.il. So this knowledge then clears up a number of related questions. Why do the British and Americans have the Israelite Bible? Why were their founding documents, such as the Magna Carta, the Constitution, based on the principles of the Hebrew Bible? Why do their populations commonly have Israelite names? David, Rachel, Rebecca, Isaac, Sarah, Jacob, Matthew, James, Daniel, John, Ruth, Joshua, Michael, so on and so forth. Why is circumcision still widely practiced in these countries, and especially America? And why have these countries, especially the United States, stood in support of the Jews, the tribe of Judah? The Americans are famously and and stoically supportive of the little Middle Eastern nation of Israel. Well, of, of course, because they are tribal brothers, and that Manassite support of Judah is notable. First uh, Chronicles 12 uh, describes a significant portion of the tribe of Manasseh rallying to support the renegade David when he was on the run from King Saul. That's, uh, again, First Chronicles 12, verses 19 to 21 and verse 31 uh, for that specifically. But the question is, remains, how did these tribes of Israel end up in these countries? Though the biblical history goes as far as the deportation up into Iran, Bible prophecy does have a lot more to say, as does secular history. So we'll take a short break uh, before looking at the migration of the tribe of Manasseh, as well as other specific details and prophecies about the tribe. Stay with us. This is Watch Jerusalem, where history and prophecy come alive. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Watch Jerusalem. Today we're looking at the modern identity of the lost tribe of Manasseh. We've established, based on numerous fulfilled prophecies, that the tribe of Manasseh is in fact the modern-day United States of America, and that the, the brother tribe of Ephraim is Great Britain and her commonwealth, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, etc. We've looked at the detailed fulfillment of the bestowal of the Abrahamic blessings, Manasseh's destiny to become a single great superpower nation, and Ephraim's destiny as an end-time company, or commonwealth of nations. We've also looked at the specific prophesied timeline for which for, for when these destinies would be fulfilled from about 1800, uh, the year 1800 until today. Now, does the Bible have anything specific to say about the future location of these end-time lost tribes of Israel, and specifically of Manasseh? Does the Bible have anything to, to, to say about where the tribe would end up following that deportation by the Assyrians? It does. 
Isaiah 49 verse 12 affirms that that these lost tribes of Israel would largely be found northwest of Palestine. Jeremiah 31 verse 8 states that the deported Israelites, uh, they would end up in the countries to the north and in the coasts and at the ends of the earth, i.e. the the Commonwealth nations such as South Africa, Australia, and New Zealand. So this passage and and multiple others make mention of end-time Israel among the isles. So what territory is located northwest of the Holy Land with coasts, isles, and control of dominions at the ends of the earth? It is, of course, Western Europe and Scandinavia, the locations of much of the other modern tribes, as well as the original home of Manasseh, uh, before the tribe migrated away further, particularly from the British Isles, before they migrated even further west into the New World. So this, then, is where the Lost Ten Tribes ended up. And we don't have time to go into detail for this program, about the the secular history here you can you can find more on that on our podcast about the tribe of Reuben on watchjerusalem.co.il uh, but this migration can be traced in the movements up into Europe uh, from Iran uh, of the Cimmerian people and the Celtic people the Celts and the Cimmerians now Kimri was the ancient name for Israel among their Assyrian captors so the, the Israelites migrated up from the territory of Iran, along with the Assyrians, into the European continent. The Assyrians, they've always been the Israelite foe. They are now the modern-day nation of Germany. And it's interesting that many of these once-captive Israelite tribes, the English, the Dutch, the Danes, the Norwegians, the Swedes, etc., they still retain that language link to their captors, the Germanic language, and such is certainly the case with our native English language. So God said to Abraham, uh, quote, In Isaac shall your seed be called. And what is the historic name for the descendants of Ephraim and Manasseh, of Joseph, or Isaac's sons? Saxons, the name Anglo-Saxon, is connected to that term, Isaac's sons. So the singular tribe of Joseph, comprised of Ephraim and Manasseh, they remained together largely in the British Isles until it split apart in order for that uh, for, for the prophetic blessings to be fulfilled, Manasseh departing for the new world of America and Ephraim remaining in the land, as well as colonizing areas of the British Empire. Genesis 49 is is a prophecy of what the tribes of Israel would each look like and become in the end time. And verses 22 to 26 describe the tribe of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh collectively. So verse 22 begins, Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall. This this. This verse here paints the tribe of Joseph as colonizers, people who would reach far beyond the, their wall, far beyond the national borders. And certainly the people of Ephraim and Manasseh have been colonizers. 
Ephraim with, with her British empire, the greatest colonial power in history, but also with Manasseh, the, the gradual colonization and expansion across the United States. Uh, the passage continues to describe the blessings of, uh, of, of Abraham, the richness of, of the land that uh, Ephraim and Manasseh would be blessed with. And that's also talked about in Deuteronomy 33, another parallel passage. Uh, we read here in verses 14 to 17 of just the mind-staggering bounties of the tribe of Joseph. Again, Ephraim and Manasseh, quote, And of Joseph he said, Blessed of the eternal be his land, for the precious things of heaven, for the dew, and for the deep that couches beneath, and for the precious fruits brought forth by the sun, and the precious things brought forth by the moon, and for the chief things of the ancient mountains, and for the precious things of the lasting hills, and for the precious things of the earth and the fullness thereof. And it just keeps going on and on along this vein. And it almost sounds like that that famous old American anthem, uh, America the Beautiful, uh, that this passage of Scripture uh, continues to describe blessing of cattle. And uh, that that's certainly one of the great symbols, one of the great farm animal, animals of America, and according to extra-biblical records, the bull was the symbol of the tribe of Manasseh, was the, was the symbol that they carried on their flag. So there are a number of pretty neat details about the United States and its colonization in relation to biblical details about Manasseh. Now, the, fa- the founding fathers, whether they were witting or not, of their own patriarchal ancestor, they characterized the new world as New Israel. New Jerusalem is another name. As, uh, as the writer Angelo Codavilla wrote in his book, The Character of Nations, he wrote that there is a tendency for Americans to equate themselves with the children of Israel. Benjamin Franklin described the independent colony on America's shores as God's new Israel. And he proposed that, uh, that the great seal of the United States should depict Moses with his rod uplifted and the Egyptian armies drowning in the sea. Thomas Jefferson recommended a similar design. But, but still the question remains, though, how did the, the migration of specifically Manassites to America work? How did that work out? A large quantity did come from England, but also other European nations. Mr. Armstrong posits this same question in the United States and Britain and Prophecy, and this is from page 107. Quote, but how can we be Manasseh when a large part of our people have come from many nations besides England? The answer is this. A large part of Manasseh remained with Ephraim until the separation of New England. But our forefathers were to be sifted through many nations as corn through a sieve, yet not a grain to fall to the earth or be lost. That he quotes Amos 9 verse 9. Our people did filter through many nations. Ephraim and much of Manasseh finally immigrated to, to England together, but many others of Manasseh who had filtered into and through other nations did not leave them until they came as immigrants to the United States after the New England colony had become the separate nation. 
This does not mean that all foreigners who have immigrated into this country are of the stock of Manasseh, but undoubtedly many are. Israel, however, always did absorb Gentiles who became Israelites through living in Israel's land and intermarrying. Mr. Armstrong continues, Thus we have become known as the melting pot of the world. Instead of refuting our Manasseh ancestry, this fact actually confirms it. End of quote. And we could look at a number of scriptures referring to the ancient tribal territory of Manasseh, which itself was a bit of a melting pot. Joshua 17, Judges 1, God criticized Manasseh for allowing enemy pockets uh, to remain and develop in their land. Mr. Armstrong continues, uh, quote, Manasseh was to separate from Ephraim and become the greatest, wealthiest single nation of Earth's history. We alone have fulfilled this prophecy. Manasseh was, in fact, a 13th tribe. There were 12 original tribes. Joseph was one of those 12. But when Joseph divided into two tribes and Manasseh separated into an independent nation, it became a 13th tribe. Mr. Armstrong concludes here, could it be mere coincidence that it started as a nation with 13 colonies? End of quote. And of course, you have the 13 stripes on the U.S. flag representing those 13 colonies. Let's turn to Amos 9 verse 9 and read that scripture, that scripture Mr. Armstrong quoted about uh, about America, about the, the Manassites, uh, about his people Israel in general, but also specifically for Manasseh being sifted. We read, quote, For lo, I will command, and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, like as corn is sifted in a sieve, yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. End of quote. So truly that has been the case with Israel as a whole, sifted from ancient Egypt, from ancient Assyria, from medieval Europe, into our destined territories and nations <clears throat> to fulfill the national promises. Now, there are some, some pretty interesting biblical details about the tribe of Manasseh. And a good place uh, to begin would be with the name from, from this point forward. Genesis 41 verse 51 uh, describes how, uh, how Manasseh got his name. We read, and Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God, said he, had made, has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. So Manasseh is a pretty interesting name in that it means to forget or to remove, to be removed, in this case, from their prior place of dwelling among their brethren. That was the case with Joseph, and that's why he called his firstborn uh, son Manasseh, to be removed from that prior place of dwelling among his brethren. And doesn't that speak of the founders of America, the, the early colonizers, a nation of settlers who removed themselves to a new world, largely attempting to, to remove and unyoke themselves from the control of their brethren across the sea. The Israelite tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh were especially powerful. Joshua recognized this in the book of Joshua, uh, chapter 17, verse 17, quote, And Joshua spoke unto the house of Joseph, even to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You are a great people and have great power. 
uh, and I'll cut that scripture there. Uh, so this blessing of power can be can be witnessed to this day with the blessings of Abraham. Again, the United States as the single greatest superpower in the world, in, in human history, really. So anciently, the tribe of Manasseh is unique in that it was split into two halves. You could take out any map of the ancient tribes of Israel. You'll see that one half of Manasseh is located on the east of the Jordan River, and one half was located on the west. And in this manner, Manasseh had one of the biggest, if not the biggest, tribal territories. And even that's reflected today. The United States of America is the largest single territory of any of the modern-day descendants of Israel. But anciently, that was divided into two. Israel approached the Promised Land following the Exodus from Egypt. They approached the, po- the Promised Land from the east, from Jordan. And at that point in time, we have three tribes, Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh, that saw the land east of the Jordan River, saw it was uh, fantastic for grazing their, their large numbers of cattle. And Moses allowed these tribes to claim this land early on, to claim it on the condition that they would continue to conquer the land west of the Jordan River for the rest of the, the Israelites. So that's all described in Numbers 32. So the Manassites were split into two, the half-tribe on the east border, you could say the Wild West border, and the half-tribe nestled together with the rest of Israel on the west. These eastern Manassites are also known as Gileadites. A significant portion of the territory east of the Jordan River was known as the land of Gilead. Gilead was one of the descendants of Manasseh, and he was a significant leader, uh, clan leader. Numbers 26 verse 29 reads, quote, Of the sons of Manasseh, of Machir, the family of the Machirites, and Machir begot Gilead. Of Gilead come the family of the Gileadites. So eastern Manasseh was made up most significantly of Gilead, as well as some additional territory, but we can think of them in general as the Gileadites. These Gileadites and their eastern tribal fellows were noted as being a particularly tough people, and that was a necessary trait when when occupying a border territory with enemy powers directly to the east. First Corinthians, uh, sorry, First Chronicles five verse eighteen reads, uh, quote, "The sons of Reuben and the Gadites and the half tribe of Manasseh." So these these tribes that were located on the east, valiant men, men able to bear buckler and sword and to shoot with bow and skillful in war. Now, the Gileadites feature quite heavily in the Bible to the point that they are virtually referred to as a tribe in their own right. Manassites, but but still such a significant uh, power that they're almost referred to as a tribe themselves. And if you look at modern-day America, the name Gilead is literally everywhere. You look look up places named Gilead around the world. You you might have a few, I think one or two uh, notable places in Australia and in modern-day Israel. But you have dozens of places named, significant places named Gilead in America. Towns, villages, mountains. 
It's even in cultural references. There's there's a very famous book that's just been turned into a movie called The Handmaid's Tale. I would not recommend watching it. But just to to highlight the premise, it, it describes a sort of dystopian future America that becomes a, a totalitarian state going by a new name, the Republic of Gilead. And if, if only they knew how well that name does actually fit with America, the Republic of Gilead. There's one quite notable biblical story about the Gileadites, and that is in Judges 12, a little bit more of an, uh, an obscure story, but fascinating nonetheless. And the parallels with what happened in Judges 12 run very close in some ways to what happened in the Revolutionary War of the 18th century. Uh, these, these parallels are pretty remarkable. So just to summarize it in brief, in Judges 12, the tribe of Ephraim, again, modern-day England, had accused the Gileadites of being escaped fugitives. Interesting, uh, interesting title there for them, these Gileadite Manassites. Verse 4 quotes the Ephraimites, quote, Ye Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites, end of quote. So it's interesting that these Ephraimites here tried to claim the Gileadites as their own. And as such, a major war broke out between the Ephraimites and the Manassite Gileadites. The Gileadites did end up overcoming the Ephraimites, as verse 4 reads, and the men of Gilead smote Ephraim. Verse 5 describes the Ephraimites attempting to escape away from the Gileadites across the Jordan passages to, to get back to their homeland. And those escaping the territory through the Jordan passages, they tried to pretend that they were not Ephraimites, that, that they were some other Israelite tribe. But the Gileadites controlling those passages, they made, they made all the passers-by say a certain word, and based on the accent, were able to identify and kill the fleeing Ephraimite soldiers. And as a result of this battle between these Manassites and Ephraimites, some 42,000 Ephraimites were killed. And the leader of Gilead, Jephthah, he became a judge over his people and over the Israelites. So the parallels here with the Revolutionary War are obvious. Again, you've got Ephraim attempting to exert authority over breakaway Manassites. Uh, across the waters, in this case, across the Jordan waters of the Jordan River. You've got a Manassite victory. You've got the different accents even. Even the troop numbers, about 42,000 Ephraimite soldiers dead in Judges 12 in the Revolutionary War. The British Army lost about 43,600 foot soldiers. And of course, there, there were many more when you include naval losses, German losses, uh, loyalist losses for the side of Britain. It's interesting, too, that the Gileadites shared a common unity with the fellow eastern tribe of Reuben. And Reuben is modern-day France, and we've got a program on that on the website as well. Now, of course, the U.S. and France were united against Great Britain in the Revolutionary War. And even Jephthah, the leader of the Manassites, he, even he is a bit of a George Washington. Both were ordained as presidents, you could say, as rulers over their people, over their land, 
both served as the leading military general uh, at at the at the front of their armies, and then both tragically had their young daughter die in their arms, albeit under quite different circumstances for the both of them. So again, we have our Gileadite Manassites in the east, and then our western Manassites. We've got a division between the two. Now, the western Manassites, the other half, they controlled a large swath of territory that stretched right from the Jordan River all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. Joshua 17 verse 9 describes these boundaries, quote, The coast of Manasseh also was on the north side of the river, and the outgoings of it were at the sea. You could almost translate translate this passage as from sea to shining sea. Uh, again, to quote the, the famous anthem, America the Beautiful. So this western territory of Manasseh was nestled in and bordered the territory of Ephraim. Again, interesting when considering that, that a significant number of Manassites lived in England alongside the Ephraimites before they split off and removed themselves for the new world. So the fact that we have two different Manassehs, essentially, is quite interesting because America has pretty much been constantly divided into two camps for most of its history. You've got the North and the South with, with differences mounting to the point of civil war. The, the Civil War fought from uh, 1861 to 1865, I believe, the, the Civil War was a most brutal time period in American history. And just to say something about the Civil War here, it's notable that the first major land battle of the Civil War was at a place called Manassas in Virginia. This was called the First Battle of Manassas. And Manassas is derived from the biblical name Manasseh. So truly, this was the great Civil War of Manasseh, when you look at it on the whole. And to this day, there's a pretty big divide in America. You've got the two-party system, Democrat and Republican, the North and the South, the liberal coastal wings of America, and the deeply religious Bible-thumping South and Midwest. Now, this is just my own speculation, but, but it would seem to me that, generally speaking, the Southerners, Midwesterners, Largely Republicans would, would represent the Gileadite eastern half-tribe of Manasseh, and the, just, just the sort of cattle, ranch territory, territory rougher, more, slightly more inhospitable terrain and, and climate, uh, a very strong, traditional, sometimes warlike spirit inherent in the Gileadites. And then on the flip side, that the more coastal territories, especially the American West and Northeast, the more progressives, liberals, uh, nowadays Democrats, uh, that they represent the Western Manassites, the part of Manasseh that bordered the sea and the Jordan River, more, uh, more of a mountainous area in parts, also quite lush and verdant. An easier climate, etc. So again, that's just my speculation. I'm sure you'll have your own. But, but the tribe of Manasseh is quite unique in being split right down the middle. And in a similar way, so is America today. So for this point of the, the program then, up to this point, we've covered America in history, uh, Manasseh in history, in fulfilled prophecy. But what about future, unfulfilled 
prophecy. The Bible does have a lot to say about this nation, about Manasseh, about America. So you'll remember that the patriarch Jacob specifically placed his name, Israel, on Ephraim and Manasseh. And that's in Genesis 48 again. This name in general can refer to all the Israelite tribes, but primarily to these two, Ephraim and Manasseh. So prophetic references to Israel are in particular references to the United States and Britain. And and in some cases, the term Israel is used specifically for America, for Manasseh. Sometimes it'll be listed alongside Ephraim and Judah, such as the case with uh, passages like Hosea 5 verse 5, quote, Therefore shall Israel and Ephraim fall in their iniquity, Judah also shall fall with them. So Israel, Ephraim, Judah. Now this, ver- this uh, verse actually is, is representative of a whole host of prophecies made against the United States. As we've covered, we, we have received the blessings of Abraham, undeserved on our part, but especially as of the last several decades, we have not been thankful to God, nor turned to him, just, just the opposite. On Donald Trump's inauguration day, President Donald Trump's inauguration day, he, uh, he described the American people as, quote, a righteous people. But just how righteous is the modern-day United States? Can, uh, consider these following statistics from an article we wrote at the time. I'll leave the link for this article in the show notes. Uh, our, our nations of Israel lead the way in, in, in various hedonistic sins, and, and here are just some stats for the United States alone. Did you know that there are 8 million practitioners of witchcraft in America? 1 million prostitutes, 10 million LGBT, 1 million abortions performed per year, 40 million regular porn users, that one child is abused every 10 seconds, goes missing every 40 seconds, is raped every 2 minutes, and is killed every 4 hours, 25 million illicit drug users every month. And what about the closet sins of the rest of the nation? This is modern America, modern Manasseh, a city set on a hill. And God is not pleased with this nation. And numerous biblical prophecies foretell a coming invasion and captivity, even worse than that of the ancient Assyrians. So the blessings of Abraham are now petering out. And under President Donald Trump, God has granted one final albeit brief, American revival and opportunity to repent. But this too was prophesied in the Bible. We've written a lot of material on it. I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave it attached in the show notes. God promised to save America temporarily by the hand of an end-time type of King Jeroboam. And that is the current president, Donald Trump. And that's prophesied in Amos 7. You can also see 2 Kings 14. Uh, but again, I'll leave material um, linked in the show notes to that. But that resurgence, that prophesied resurgence that we have witnessed financially and militarily, that resurgence would be short-lived. And we'll, we, we will have to see how much longer it will go on for. The blessings of Abraham are on their way out, and the enemy nations are circling. 
this morally bankrupt nation of Manasseh, as well as Ephraim and Judah, these nations are headed for catastrophe. This, this punishment and judgment, the Bible describes, it's, it's to occur just before the coming of the Messiah. Jeremiah 30 verse 7 states, quote, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be named. He shall be saved out of it. Remember that name, Jacob's name, put on the tribes specifically of Ephraim and Manasseh. It's the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Daniel 12 verse 1 speaks of the same time period. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which stands for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation to that same time. No, nor ever shall be. <clears throat> this, this was a time of, uh, of, of suffering on a scale never experienced in human history. And you look at the proliferation of weapons of mass destruction, it's only been at this point in history that this kind of destruction could be exerted upon fellow man. Other scriptures say that were it not for the coming of the Messiah, no flesh at all would be saved alive. So such is the level of destruction that is coming. And our nations of Israel are prophesied to feel God's wrath first and foremost, not only because of our sins, just the sins themselves, but because our nations have had a history with God. We ought to know better. It's not enough to simply profess, as Manassites do all the time, in God we trust or, or God bless America. What God desires is repentance and a turning to him with our whole heart, just as he desired from ancient Israel, from ancient Manasseh, a keeping of his laws and commandments. And he promises to spare those who look to him, those who obey him. There is great destruction coming for Manasseh, but it is succeeded by just as sure prophecies of the coming of the Messiah, of the saving of Israel. And a humbled Manasseh is prophesied to rise again, led by him, led by the Messiah, to heights never before seen, far greater than those of the past. And and I'll conclude with the prophecy for that time, one such prophecy from Zechariah 10, quote, and I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph, and I will bring them again to place them, for I will, for I have mercy upon them, and they shall be as though I had not cast them off, for I am the eternal their God, and will hear them, They shall remember me in far countries, and they shall live with their children and turn again. And I will strengthen them in the eternal, and they shall walk up and down in his name, saith the eternal. Truly Manasseh, the United States of America, has seen days of great glory, but the best is yet to come. And as 1 Chronicles 5 verse 20 says of the Manassites, They put their trust in him. In God, this classic Manassite phrase will be able to be said in future wholeheartedly, in God we trust.